Hello and welcome to the Three Plains Sports Podcast. Just three plain guys from the Great Plains talking a lot of sports, some sports betting, and maybe doing a little drinking along the way. I am your host, producer Dylan, joined by just one brainstormer of potential Washington Nationals alternate uniforms. Still waxing poetic about Brett Favre's ass in a pair of perfectly cut Wrangler jeans, our very progressive fantasy football commissioner who has just approved sexual favors as trade currency, Sam. Thank you, Dylan. Uh, this we're, we're recording this one on Tuesday. What is today? Shit, I didn't write that. Uh, today is November, November 2nd. Uh, during uh, Thursday night football between the Steelers and Titans. That one will be a barn burner. Uh, we are without Colin today due to uh, Halloween and some other events this week. We're just, uh, we're all kinds of screwed up and we couldn't record on our regular schedule. I Did I say today's Tuesday? Because today is Thursday. You know, I think maybe you did, but you also okay. said it was Thursday night football. You know what? Yeah. Today's Thursday. <laughs> Colin can't record on this Thursday, so we're going to do one. He should be back next week barring injury, illness, or death. Fingers so. crossed. <laughs> uh, let's jump into the news. Um, take the easy one right off the top. Uh, the Rangers uh, won the 2023 World Series in a, let's call it a somewhat dominant fashion, you know, 4-1 to one on the series. Yeah. Uh, you probably watched more of it than I did. I listened to a little bit of it, but uh, I, I was kind of thinking, okay, you know, with uh, – it just seemed like they won these games handily, and I wanted to see, was this a particularly dominant World Series? Sam, does this feel like this one was dominant, or or is this just a regular World Series to you? Yeah, I'd say it definitely falls closer to the, the dominant uh, side of the spectrum. Like, just in, in the fact, obviously 4-1, you know, the mm-hmm. gentleman's sweep is relatively sound, but to me it was that, like, especially in those last couple of games and despite Arizona's, you know, little sort of comeback effort when they were down 10 to one in game four and got to seven or whatever, like they, it really didn't just didn't feel like they had a chance for the majority of those games at winning it. And it kind of takes away from, I guess the feeling of the series being competitive overall. Uh, Yeah. I I think Texas, I'm impressed, especially that, you know, they lost Adelise Garcia who carried them, so far and with and was just so unbelievably hot in the box the whole postseason and then he he strains his oblique and is off the postseason roster and they just don't miss a beat and just keep, keep cranking out runs they had like i think it was 13 different innings in the playoffs where they scored three plus they they just were so prone to blowing up and, and cleaning pitchers out and, and just basically breaking games in an instant that a, a lot of their postseason was uncompetitive pretty much with the exception of that Astros series. I'll hand it to, to your boys down in Houston. Obviously a very seasoned and well, experienced playoff team. And you, a wouldn't tough out. To them, you wouldn't hand it to them in Houston because they <laughs> lost all four of them. Some games. That's true. Uh, that, that was they a did. wild series. Uh, yeah. But, uh, World Series, let's, I just I have the last several World Series pulled up here. Uh, could you think of the last one that was a four-in-one series? Oh shit! Uh, it wouldn't be the the Dodgers Rays in twenty twenty. Would it? Would that did that go to six? Yes, that did go to six. Uh, the Damn. last four and one was the Red Sox over the Dodgers in twenty eighteen. Uh, okay. Another notable one before that, just because it's a little, uh, it's probably a little bit near and dear to us because it, it was a really cool season with a with a cool outcome. Uh, twenty fifteen Royals over the Mets. Uh, Salvador Perez was your World Series okay. MVP that year. 
And then one last thing. Do you remember the last shutout World Series? Ooh, the last World Series sweep. Was it uh, the last one I remember my, specifically was Boston sweeping Colorado in 07? Good memory. That's not the last one. Damn, okay. Uh, the most current one is uh, the Giants over uh, okay. uh, the Tigers in 2012. And that uh, that's, with, that's with your series MVP, Pablo Sandoval. Yes, sir. <laughs> Get fucked, Detroit. I was I was pretty ecstatic about that one. And you know, I was almost going to shoot from the hip and say, "Well, you know what? The tech, you know, the Rangers won in what we would consider dominant, you know, a dominant fashion." But man, their pitching kind of suffered. And I went and looked at the results, and I, I that take would have been completely wrong uh, because yes, in Game One they gave up five hits, and then in Game Four they gave up seven or not hits uh, runs to the Diamondbacks. But then every other game. Uh, you know, games two, three, and five, one or zero uh, runs. So, yeah, and that one, that game where they gave up seven, you know, the runs still count, but they were up what ten to one, and, yeah. and you know, not the highest leverage at bats, uh, getting converted into those runs for Arizona. All right, so you know, good World Series. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't watch as much. I wasn't super excited about it. I mean, it begs the question of the Rangers and you know a team that was very good in the first half of the regular season and then shit down their leg in the second half and wasn't a particularly good team until they entered the playoffs uh, towards the end there um, is now your world series champs. They didn't win their division. Uh, (laughs) uh, Interesting conversation about that. It doesn't bother me that much. Next news item. One that I think you will uh, actually probably not particularly enjoy, but it's an interesting one. Nebraska sports all Nebraska sports are perfect in the month of October this year. That is wow. Nebraska. Who would have thought Nebraska would be 4-0 and in the month of October uh, under yeah, a brand-new head that. coach who's known for going 1-11 and in his first year at different schools. <laughs> uh, volleyball uh, against a number-one-ranked Wisconsin team is perfect in October. And weirdly enough, soccer, although I don't know anything about their soccer team. <laughs> well, I'm happy for you. And then uh, we we kind of beat this down last week, but there's a lot of new movement on the whole Michigan sign stealing scandal. I don't know yep. how much of this you've read and heard, but uh, th- so there was a call was it this morning or yesterday morning uh, that was basically just an airing of the grievances. This, this was put together by the Big Ten commissioner uh, Tony Petiti. Is it first name Tony? It's Petiti's his last name. Uh, it is kind of just all the coaches and the ADs got together. Jim Harbaugh was on the first half of the call. And then at a certain point, they're just like, okay, Jim, you can hop off the call now. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot more discussion happened after that. Uh, I didn't even pull up specific articles. I'm just kind of looking at like the newsfeed of everything. Big 10 coaches frustrated with conference. We want something done now. Lou Holtz finds it deplorable. Uh, Tony Petiti is going to have to act or he's going to lose the coaches and ADs. Um, do not expect, they do not expect the conference to levy any sort of punishment against Michigan before the season ends. And surely Jim Harbaugh's out after this season because he's going to go find an NFL job, probably with the Raiders. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Although he could go be, uh, depending on how Eberflus ends up, he could go, uh, he's a, he's a bear, former Bears quarterback, Jim Harbaugh. He is an- and he is also a legend of just about every Bears coaching search uh, <laughs> in the last handful of years. 
name is, has bounced around like crazy, but it's never really had much actual traction. Who knows? Maybe this is the year. I think in all fairness, he is like the superstar of every NFL coaching job since he left the NFL however many years ago. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but there's a uh, have you heard that's not the only Michigan scandal. Um, you know, I'm not sure <laughs> if I've heard about the other one. So we knew Michigan State had some troubles with uh, like sexual harassment and uh, Mel Tucker, you know, got the boot for that. Mm-hmm. Michigan, you know, UM, the maize and gold has released a staffer after online video alleged an underage solicitation. Uh, Alex Yude, a low-level staffer within the program, was subject to yada, yada, yada. Not a good time to be the athletic director, (laughs) to be in the athletic department at uh, Michigan, or to be a woman in the state of Michigan, apparently. Yeah, you might want (laughs) to keep an eye on your back. Uh, And then... This one, I don't know if this one brings you up or takes you down, but uh, an Iowa woman in her obituary listed her dying wish. And I don't have a name. I just have the snippet from, oh, it doesn't even tell me which which uh, uh, newspaper this was, but it's a physical picture of a snippet that's obviously from a newspaper. Iowa woman's dying wish is to pray for Iowa's offense. <laughs> Hey, you got to respect that, man. She's going out, you know, looking out for the greater good. In lieu of flowers, please make a donation to a charity of your choice or simply say a prayer for the Iowa Hawkeyes offense on her behalf. (laughs) That's good shit. But that does bring up another interesting conversation. I don't know how in tune you are with what's going on in the Big Ten or the Big Ten West or specifically in Iowa. It's starting to look like not only will Brian Ferentz likely not be the offensive coordinator next year, it's looking mm-hmm. like Kirk Ferentz may not be the head coach next year. Um, I have seen a bit of the smoke on that. I did see the Iowa posted a statement from Kirk Ferentz, I think, yesterday saying, like, I intend to be here until I'm no longer passionate about the sport and my athletes and shit like that. Um but you know that's generally not something you have to go say out loud. It's 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 that's a red flag for sure. And I have seen definitely the the talk that Brian Ferentz is expected to uh, not return, regardless of his twenty five point per game quota and the results on that. I forgot to look up where he's at. Iowa yeah, I'm not scoring sure. statistics, uh, but uh, um, Ferentz so. Iowa has a new AD. Gary Bardo was a longtime AD, and obviously he and Kirk Ferentz had an understanding where Kirk Ferentz could just run the football team. Gary Bardo was not the guy to, to put him in a direction. Uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz has been the CEO, uh, judge, jury, and executioner, for better or worse, of the Iowa Hawkeyes football team basically since he took the job. Uh, Gary Barda was great for that. He's a great athletic director, you know, even letting Kirk have that long of a leash. Uh, but they have a new athletic director that sounds like won't quite be so forgiving with Kirk. And I think, you know, you're, you're old and you know, your team has offensive problems and you're, you're uh, by all reports, a little bit gruff and maybe not always the most PC. Uh, Maybe your athletic director wants to clean that up or wants to put a little more hands on the program. And I'm sure he's not about that um, for better or worse. Which opens up a, a very interesting scenario in which somebody is the new head coach of Iowa and Scott Frost is the uh, offensive coordinator to 
basically complete his revenge against the University of Nebraska for some reason. <laughs> I like to think that he will rediscover his magic as Iowa's OC and beat the piss out of you guys a few times in a row. <laughs> uh, interesting situation where the Nebraska-Iowa game at the end of the season on Black Friday uh, could decide the Big Ten West. Oh, that is sickening to think about. Uh, Sam, do you have any particular particular news? Because that's all I wrote down this week. Um, no, I got nothing that we're not already slated to cover. All righty. So we're going to run on to slow pitch, fast pitch, where somebody gives us takes. In this case, it's Colin, who's not here, but gave us takes. So he's not here to defend himself, which is good for us, bad for him. Uh, but the slow pitch is supposed to be a little bit of an easier buy, a much colder take, uh, easier to agree with. And whereas the fast pitch is going to be your hot take. I don't know how hot it is this week. Um, and it's supposed to be more difficult to agree with and, you know, maybe generate some interesting discussion. I, Sam, I don't know what yours is because, you know, he texted us separately. Uh, I think I have the slow pitch, so I don't know if that's tracking with what you think you have. Yeah, I'd say so. I, I would have wagered I have the fast pitch. Okay, let me pull this up and read this then. So, potentially, the slow pitch, Colin will chime in next week and let us know if, if he fucked it up, but uh, we'll find out. Uh, slow pitch, another loss similar to the Kansas loss, for OU, that is, should be a clear-cut sign to move on from Jeff Levy. Uh, and he does give me an exemption here if there's a Big 12 title game against Texas. If we lose that one, that one shouldn't count unless it's an absolute blowout. Um, I think I tend to agree with this one because some of the troubles have been with Jeff Levy, but you also can't deny the troubles with, you know, the quarterback, Dylan Gabriel. Um, great quarterback, but there's there's been some interesting calls and some interesting reads and some interesting decisions that he's made. Now, yeah, some of that goes back on your offensive coordinator and putting guys in positions to succeed and scheming around the quarterback you do have. Um, I mean, if they lose again, that puts them at a 10-2 and two season. Do you think that's a fireable offense for an offensive coordinator who goes 10-2 and two and has shown a real turnaround this year with his offense? Personally, I don't, and I, I don't think Colin is crazy to be upset about what we saw out of Jeff Levy this past Saturday. Um, and I'd concede to your point that you know the, the players aren't entirely faultless here. Um, specifically, this Kansas loss, I think it's hard to pin it on Gabriel. He did throw a shitty pick six early in the game, which you know obviously in the whole That's of things was it was significant. Uh, and did contribute to us ultimately losing that game. But I think that all we've seen out of Dylan Gabriel is a guy who consistently more often than not puts us in a position to win and can move the ball down the field when he is just given the rein to sling that thing. And I was just a little stunned by just how much we took it out of his hands. And I, I can understand it somewhat is a, a logical and conscious decision when we're playing from ahead a decent chunk of the way and we have determined, you know, matchup-wise that we feel like we can run the ball against this team and do it consistently. And to some extent we were, but, like, it, it just before did not come together. And, Paul uh -huh. Walker before the lightning delay. It was fucking yeah. electric. And he ended up kind of getting banged up in that game too, which, which certainly didn't help our cause. And we just haven't really been able to, I guess, quite find a rhythm with any of the other running backs, which is is a little strange and getting stranger as it continues to not get resolved throughout the year, and it just looks like it won't be. Um, I, so overall, like I, I was very disappointed in Levy. I thought 
you need to put the ball in Gabriel's hands throughout the game more than he did. And specifically, like, on the drive, Ethan Downs picks off KU with, what, like two minutes left and a little change, like 240 on the clock or something, and we're still winning, but just by one point. And one first down basically will put the game away. But we just go run, 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 punt. And, like, we lost yards on the first down, I think, to where it's like, okay, well, you know, running twice probably ain't going to get it done here right off the bat. We know we're probably going to need to throw it to move the sticks. And instead, we just play to burn KU's timeouts. And, I mean, admit it as much, like the, the coaches did in the pressers. We wanted to, you know, burn their timeouts and make them go the length. And, like, they didn't have to go the length. They needed a field goal. They did go the length, as it turned out. Uh, but they needed a field goal. You know, we're up one point. And, and to me, it, it's not the NFL, man, where, like, timeouts, they're just not that significant in college. I mean, the clock stops. Anytime you have a good play, the clock stops, and you just get to go have another one. Like, to, in the to last me, two minutes, right? Yeah, which, I mean, yeah, now. Yes. Um, which essentially was this, this time frame, because we ended up yeah. punting it back to KU with, like, 215 or something and trusting the defense. Um, and, and the defense couldn't bail us out one last time. That's that's the way it ended up going. I thought the fact that we went we ran the ball on that second and third down after we had gone backwards and we were just content to give KU a two-minute drill with a one-point lead, to me that was malpractice, and it was not surprising. Even though I believed in the defense and still do believe in the defense to be able to go get us big stops on occasion, they're not going to step up and stop every good offense every time. It's just not practical, and especially without our best defender on the field. Um, and I think Gentry Williams did he he didn't play this weekend either. Was he sick? Am I remembering that right? Uh, it sounded like he was sick hurt. on the radio call because I was yeah. driving. It sounded like he was out for for illness. And yeah, then they and put, Dan uh, Stutzman got banged up. Yeah, they put him back like, in for like one play, and it was obvious <laughs> that he was not okay in that one play. Uh-huh. That they put him back in. Yeah, and it's like man, I mean, we're we're not at full strength <laughs> on defense. You know, we've got a true freshman taken over Danny Stutson's position and the kid's good. Kip Lewis, he's, he's really damn good, honestly, and exciting, but you know, I, I just, I don't know if I would be wanting to put all the chips on my defense missing. It's, it's, you know, centerpiece and leader and captain uh, in a one point game against a really damn good and creative offense like Kansas's. Obviously I also have my own biases to KU, which I kind of <laughs> have to sort out with how, how this all went down. But to me, it, it was really poorly coached. And I see where Colin's coming from here, but I don't think that you fire Levy on account of one more game like that this year, purely just because of his impact in getting us Jackson Arnold and his general impact as a recruiter. I I don't doubt that Brent could get the buy-in, probably has the buy-in from a lot of these young players on our offense, and it's not like everybody's going to go follow Jeff Levy to wherever the hell he ends up finding a home if if we show him the door. Yeah, Yeah, but... He is one of the best recruiters on the staff. Recruiting is vital to being able to succeed in the SEC and, and really anywhere in college football consistently at a high level. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm disappointed in Levy. I think the clock management is catastrophic for us sometimes, and that falls as much on Brent as on him, in my opinion. Um, and so that's another problem that I think maybe he gets slightly scapegoated for beyond what he should. Um, so no, I, I'm not fu- like ready to fire him over this personally, but I certainly do think that he has some questionable tendencies, and, and I, I do think it's fair to say that Levy cost us in that game. Did he cost us the game single-handedly? No, but did he make it tougher on us to win that and contribute to us losing that? Absolutely. 
It is always interesting to me, uh, you know, because we don't know what's going on over the headset. We don't know what conversations are happening between the uh, the OC up in the tower and the head coach down on the ground. So it, it's always I'm always wondering, was this a, you know, where where does Brent Venables draw the line? Was he giving like the clock management on offense kind of some of those powers to Jeff Lebby? Was this uh, maybe maybe there was a little bit of infighting between Brent and Jeff, you know, figuring out how they want to manage the end of the game. Maybe maybe Brent started, uh, you know, putting his fingers in places uh, on the offense, even though he's a defensive guy or whose clock management problem is this is, is anyone's to say, you know, as you mentioned, it's it's a head coach should step in and make a change if, you know, things aren't going particularly well from a game management overall game management standpoint. But maybe that was Brent's decision. Maybe Jeff was yelling at him to do something different for all we know. You know, um, just interesting to we probably will never know unless something came out at the uh, press conference that, you know, any of the press conferences that I definitely didn't read up or listen to. Yeah, I, I did tune into the press conferences a little bit. I didn't watch the whole thing, but read read some of that. And if I'm remembering right, I think that uh, I, I think the way it came out was it kind of was Levy's call more so to be conservative there on that last drive. But either way, to me, like the overall clock management issue is a, is, is a problem that comes back to Brent regardless. Like it, you can say, you know, the OC can make his decisions, but you know, he, the buck doesn't stop at the OC ever to me. And this goes back. This, if I had one game that to me was Jeff Levy's worst at OU, it was a game we actually won and it was last year's bedlam where we got up like four touchdowns in the first quarter because uh, Spencer Sanders was just unraveling. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, I would, we sucked last year, but we were like, holy shit, you know, we were beating the hell out of them already. Um, and sorry, I, I just got to yeah, work. That's okay. Your, your point, your point's taken. Uh, I do have an interesting aside, you know, since we're talking about Kansas a little bit, did you know that, I mean, granted, it's at Iowa State, but did you know that Kansas is a road dog to Iowa State? I did not know that. I might just uh, have uh, found my bet for the betting segment if we get to it. Two and a half point road dog. Granted, it's at Iowa State, so they're they're basically putting him down as even with the the home field advantage, which I think is mm-hmm. it's kind of bizarre. I mean, it's a better Iowa State team than Colin would give them credit for, but yeah, it's a little they bit are bizarre. playing a little better. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had lost my train of thought before there, but uh, but last year's bedlam, so we got up so big early, and obviously the offense stalled out from there, and that, that's one thing. If your offense sucks uh, in a given game, obviously there's some culpability to the OC, but sometimes you just don't execute. But we were up so big, and our time of possession, like we would come and go three and out, and we're snapping the ball with 30 seconds on the play clock every time, all night, and not going anywhere, and just giving it back to them, and we're burning like a minute per possession and giving it back to him and slowly letting them creep back into that game. And we damn near blew it. We ended up holding on. But to me, I know that that's a, a philosophy that is a Jeff Levy thing that he wants to go fast and he thinks that's going to set them up to succeed. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it 
comes to Brent. Like Brent needs to step up in that situation to me and say, hey, look, man, like I get it. I know this is the way you want to run shit. And to some extent, like, I'm not going to tell you you can't a couple plays if you feel like we need a leg up. You can speed it up or whatever if you like what you're seeing on the field. But we can't go out there every possession and manage the clock the way we're doing it right now because we're blowing the fucking game. And he didn't step up to do that last year. I think that's something he'll grow into as a head coach. I don't think it's going to be some fatal flaw, Achilles heel, but it is something that's reared its head a couple times. And coming back to present tense and then this KU loss this past week, um, we called a timeout before punting from near midfield in the third quarter. Make sure, that and, punt, make sure that punt team squared away. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's no justification for it. Just take like if we're gonna get a delay, just take the delay. I mean, that I was just saying timeouts aren't that important, but they're still somewhat important. And it as it just so happened when KU was kind enough to score the touchdown and give it back to us with a chance, and and you know we we <laughs> somehow got kind of down the field. We end up throwing into the end zone to win the game with one play left, but we were burning clock on that drive and and kind of fucked ourselves a couple times and, and man that that last time out it would have come in handy and we burnt that brent burnt that you know with all due respect i love brent i, I think i feel good about where he's taking the program but he burnt that time out and that fucked us you know the way the clock was managed whether you want to call it levy or the, the, the lack of aggression you want to say it's on levy or it's on brent like the accountability needs to go all the way to the top so i i can agree with the ill will towards levy and i i can believe honestly that maybe he is the driving force in some of like what we are doing out there or most of what we're seeing the team do out there offensively. But yeah, it's, it's an accountability thing. And, and Brent owns that. I mean, he, he said in the press conference, you know, I basically, I fucked up this week and it's on me, which is what he needs to be saying. And something it wouldn't kill Jeff Levy to say if we're being entirely fair. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, he's the head ball coach and the game management stuff comes to him. So I, I'm not, totally ready to just boot Levy out the door over some shit that I think Brent can and should correct. Yeah. And you know what? You got to be careful just firing guys willy nilly, uh, you know, yep. way back in uh, 2003, Nebraska fired a nine and three coach and then they did it again in 2014 and look how that's gone for them. So <laughs> uh, from the slow pitch into the fast pitch, uh, what we believe to be the fast pitch, uh, Sam, what did Colin give you? Colin gave me the Arizona Diamondbacks will not reach another NLCS in the next five years. Uh, um, okay. I, I, like, I don't think it's an insane take because, you know, it's easier said than done to go reach an NLCS. I would love to have seen my team ever make, make a league championship series <laughs> in the past decade and a half. Um, you know, it, it, I'm sure it's a good time. But I, I would I would go ahead and sell it. I feel like we have seen teams kind of ascend to this level and, and arrive for a few years. I feel like the playoff experience is valuable. Uh, you know, they're they're seasoned now. They're obviously they're not going to be sitting there being scared of the Dodgers, who are are going to be <laughs> the Dodgers are going to be what stands in their way for the most part. They play in a good division. Obviously, it could be any team any year, but the Dodgers are going to be what stands in the way of Arizona, and they've already you know shown that they can come in and take it to them. And I, I think it's entirely plausible that they're going to be back in the next couple of years. I could easily see them being back next year, or the following year. Uh, I mean, we've seen young teams like Collins Cubs, you know, in the mid 2010s, like they kind of start to to show up and make a run, and they're there for a few years. They're legit, and and I think we're going to see. It's not it's not apples to apples, but like the Baltimore Orioles are another one. They didn't 
put the run together this year, but they're a really damn good young team, just yes. like Arizona. Probably better, honestly, in terms of the talent they've amassed. Um, and I, I would expect to see those teams just remain a factor indefinitely. So I would not bet against Arizona making an NLCS again in the next half decade. I'd, I'd be pretty surprised if they don't personally. Uh, I, you know, I don't know enough about the roster makeup and what, what contracts guys are on and um, ages of guys on the Diamondbacks. Um, I mean, Corbin Carroll, obviously a very, very promising young player. Um, you know, he's kind of, like you said, with the, with the Orioles, he's kind of the Adley Rutschman of that team where if you continue to rally around him, you, you get something going, you could easily be back, but it's baseball and they're the Diamondbacks. They are not a, you know, they're not a big market team. They're, they're, they're not, they're not in the same boat, you know, as the Oakland A's, because I think their, their owner gives a shit and is willing to spend money, but they're also a far cry away from a Rangers team from an Astros team uh, from Yankees, even the Mets recently where the owners just willing to throw money to win at any, you know, win at any cost, any monetary little literal cost. Um, So I I could see them not being there in the next five years. They could be really talented and still come up short. I mean, it's the Astros showed it's, it's hard to get through the playoffs. I mean, you could be one of the most talented teams, even if your rec- you know, regular season record might not have showed it. You could be one of the most talented teams and still have a hard time going through the playoffs if you have to go through a wild card and then you have to go through the divisional series. So I'm kind of on the fence on this one. I don't know enough about it. I could see it going either way. It's hard to rule them out, but it's also hard to say anybody will be in any uh, championship series in the next five years. Yeah, that's fair. Just the way baseball is. Uh, so, uh, I, I am, I am going to be interested when we get into some baseball, you know, off season talk, talk about free agents, you know, who's going where, but we do have something we can talk about for football right now in the same vein. Uh, we just finished up with the NFL trade deadline. Um, I know our teams made some moves in trade season. Uh, the Vikings made some cha- you know, trades at the very end of, uh, questionable integrity, uh, let me start there because those are the ones I know about, and I know Sam, you have your pulse on the rest of the league and what that trade, what those trade situations look like. Um, you know, you have Kirk Cousins going down with an Achilles injury. Uh, weirdly enough, man, the NFC North's getting hammered, uh, so he's out for the rest of the season. Jaron Hall, we will see how he he's getting a start this week, so I guess we'll see if he has a chance to be in the future of that franchise or not. You bring in Josh Jobs. I don't think at the time I was a little on the fence about that trade uh, given – hold on. I was going to look up the terms to that because I have already kind of forgotten some of it. But uh, the Josh, jo- Josh, Josh Dobbs trade where if you are going to be committed to Jaron Hall for at least one or two games as a starter, I don't think it's terrible. Uh, Josh Dobbs showed that he's serviceable in Arizona as a backup, and if that is the – uh, if that's the intent of this to have a serviceable backup who might have to, you know, step into a starting role if experience is needed. I can live with that. Um, given, you know, like I said, a little bit of success he had in Arizona and, uh, uh, you need somebody. He's probably a better backup than a lot of guys you could have taken or could have tried to pick up in free agency, older guys, old washed up, you know, like the, like the Jake, the of the 2012 Texans, you know? Yep. 
Um, and then uh, they traded away. What I'm kind of upset about is trading away a promising guard in Ezra Cleveland for a sixth-round pick. And that was to – I know I'm already blanking. It's Jacksonville. Jacksonville. It's either going to say that or the Panthers. Um, that one, it, it is a head-scratcher, but also it's not. So it's – you know, you, you're you're trying to attract or build up either the quarterback you have or potentially attract a new quarterback because Kirk Cousins is on the last year of his deal. And it, it seems to me like Kevin O'Connell isn't going to stick with him. Uh, you know, Kirk's going to be turning 36 or he is, already is 36. Um, you know, you just drafted a young quarterback or do you want to draft another one in an early round this year? I I don't see it. Uh, unfortunately, there's not going to be a whole lot in free agency. I don't think this off season. So getting rid of you know a good young guard is interesting. But where it does to me make sense is if they're trying to free up cap space. If you don't remember this past off season, they were way over. They had they had to figure out their they had major major cap problems, and so they had to go fill that. Out. You know, when Kirk Cousins was uh, was first signed to. Uh, the Vikings, he had the largest quarterback contract in history, and that certainly didn't help. And so he, uh, Ezra Cleveland is coming to the end of his rookie deal, and I'm sure it, ulti- it ultimately came down to, you're good, we're not willing to pay you, we're going to try to make some moves, find some pieces elsewhere. Um, you know, he's no Christian Derrissaw, but he was still a, a very good guard uh, for the NFC North. Take us around the rest of the league. Okay, well, I would be happy to start with my own team, the Bears, uh, as I'm kind of following your lead there. We were the first ones to make a splash on deadline day, um, throwing an early second-round pick for the second straight deadline while sucking ass. <laughs> uh, we traded away our own early second-rounder. This time, at least, I will give Ryan Poles some credit. He did think, at least I'll get a good player. I would have loved if he did that last year. He didn't. Uh, but at least Montez Sweat is good. Uh we obviously we sorely need edge rush help, and we need a defensive end. And Montez Sweat, this is a low bar, but like a consistency thing, the, the numbers flesh themselves out. He's one of like seven guys to have five sacks each of the past you know five years or four years, or whatever since he came in the league. Um, and, and the company that he's with is a lot of names that kind of hold more value than Montez Sweat. Uh, so he, he's a known quantity. You know what you're getting. The the problem to me with this deal and time could very well kind of absolve this, but you know, we did not make this deal with an extension in place. And at the same time, we were rumored to be trading Jalen Johnson, our star corner who is coming off of his rookie deal as is sweat. Um, and we ended up not trading Johnson also not extending him. Um, so we have Johnson still on the roster. Now we have sweat. We haven't extended either guy. There's only one franchise tag to go around. Montez Sweat has been somewhat non-committal as he should be, and as I'm sure his agent is telling him to be, with like, you know, I'm gonna see what's what the deal is here in Chicago, feel it out, and see if I maybe want to sign an extension. But he's not just saying, "Hell yeah, I'm a bear for the next four or five years." Like, sign me up. He's biding his time. Jalen Johnson, we have pissed off, and he he doesn't even want to talk extension with us until the off season. Uh, and like these two now see the situation and one another has and are able to kind of leverage it and go, you can only tag the one of us like and kind of both of them can play that out and hold that out for every last dime they can get. I think Montez sweat specifically and his agent have us by the balls over this because like, quite frankly, if Ryan Poles trades a second rounder for sweat, when we're two and six, 
we're not going to make the playoffs one way or the other. If he doesn't get an extension done and Sweat walks, like he's got to be fired, right? Like I mean, that's it's completely indefensible. If you, you you get a rental on a bad team and you trade an early second just for him to to be out the door in the off season, completely indefensible. And I don't think that's really how it will end up. But like the the position that he has us in is we are going to need to shell the fuck out, and we have the cap money to overspend. It kind of is fine, but we have seen Ryan Poles be very outward and vocal about, I don't want to overspend for the value, which is why he didn't want to re-sign Roquan Smith. He'd rather trade his ass, and he hasn't re-signed Jalen Johnson. And the guys that we actually have that are actually talented, the few and far between Bears that are worth keeping around and building a unit around, he's like, well, I don't want to, you know, he's, he's nickel and diming them. And going, it's all about value. But then he goes and gets this trade for Sweat, where now Sweat basically has us in a position to have to go pay him like he's fucking prime Von Miller, which he isn't. And he is a good player. But, you know, we're going to overpay for him, which is what Poles has really puffed himself up about not doing. And we're also obviously losing draft capital while we do it. Uh, it, It's kind of, it's, I'm disheartened with Ryan Poles. Not impressed. I have... I have a thought on this, and you can tell me how out of line they are because you know more about their front office. I am wondering if, you know, Eberflus, obviously, de- defensive guy. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if the front office is wanting to, you know, you said they have lots of cap space. You know, they got a lot of players who maybe aren't worth so much, unfortunately. Are, you know, maybe they are, maybe, they, maybe the plan is to slight, maybe slightly overpay or at least, you know, shell out for some of these, you know, strong, talented defensive players in order to build a defensive base for your team and, you know, hang your hat on a strong defense and hope that the offense can kind of follow suit, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe the thought is, you know, maybe they're trying to replicate what the 49ers are doing. You start with a strong, strong defense and, you know, you hope your offense is good enough. Maybe you get lucky in the draft like they did with Brock Purdy or, you know, maybe to them it's not lucky to them. It's a calculated move, but I, I, you know, without knowing enough of where all these contracts are going to fall and what these guys are worth, I can see that there might be a plan. Now, whether or not it's a good plan, whether or not it's the right plan for that team, whether or not, you know, you can hold on to a head coach long enough to have any sort of plan, you know, this, yeah, absolutely. This will probably fuck the bears. If you guys get rid of your, your, uh, your general manager, (laughs) I mean, if he has a plan and they get, and the ownership gets rid of him, then you might actually be like a hundred percent. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, I I don't necessarily deny that. Um, I I just am not a big buyer in his plan thus far. I just haven't been impressed in general with most of his moves. It, It hasn't been all bad. I mean, the DJ Moore trade was, in good. retrospect, it, it, it was good, and so was the Darnell Wright pick. But it's like it, almost any GM I feel like could have pulled that off. Like he was in a very unique and fortunate situation there, where we epically lucked into having the number one pick at all, and we're still kind of willing to play it out with our own existing QB, and we're just able to trade it for a king's ransom, and basically just it, no one could stop us from telling Carolina like, "Fuck you if you want this pick." we get DJ Moore end of story and that's what happened. So we got DJ Moore, but like I have a hard time really crediting polls too much for that. It was a good decision, but it was also just so much leverage that you almost couldn't have fucked it up. And to me, that's like the only couple moves he can hang his hat on is the more trade and the right pick with the ensuing pick we got from Carolina. 
I do want to take this to the the uh, the Washington direction. They, th- there's a couple interesting situations brewing here from like a front office standpoint. Okay, so you have Washington who just uh, traded away two amazing pass rushers, uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So they they must think or know or understand that they're going to have that that they're thinking they're going to have major cap space problems and they've decided this year is not their year anyway. So they're going to try to, uh, you know, take that into the future, which is, you know, a legitimate strategy. I don't know. You get rid of both those guys, unless you just, you know, you don't want to pay either one, you know, chase young is worth being one of the best paid pass rushers in the league. Montez sweat, maybe not so much. Uh, but then you get the opposite situation brewing over on the Niners where chase young landed, uh, think of all the guys you're gonna have. They're gonna have to fucking pay. You know, oh, like yeah. he's a, he's a legit uh, rental. I think he's not sticking in San Fran. Would be my guess. Uh, yeah, uh, but I mean, fuck, you got to pay him. And it's uh, is it fuck? Is it Joey or Nick? I, I get the both. Nick Bosa, Bosa, and he got paid already. But yeah, I mean, he's making a shit ton. That hits your cap. Right you got Christian McCaffrey, um, uh, and Debo I mean, Samuel, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Warner, uh, Eric uh, Armstead. They, I mean, they got some contracts dude, in there it's, for sure. And you know what? If you're right now, if they're they're they Super Bowl or bust, uh, but yep. this could be a really interesting future because I don't know unless some of those unless you know what you win a Super Bowl this year, so maybe those some of those guys are willing to renegotiate their contracts so they can keep winning Super Bowls. There's always that option if you have the right guys, but man, that's that's going to be a rough, potentially a rough off season and a rough next year for the 49ers. Yeah, that's fair. I, th- I, I think the Niners have, have demonstrated proficiency beyond almost any other team in the league at just kind of keeping their shit moving. To me, the fact that they're as good as they are after the Trey Lance trade, I mean, that Trey Lance trade is one of the worst trades anybody has made in modern sports <laughs> history. And they basically shrugged it off and they're still just one of the best teams in football. And, and obviously the Purdy thing, Helps a hell of a yeah. lot, which, as you said, kind of lucky they wouldn't call it that, but it kind of is what it is. Um, I will say, I think that the Chase Young deal for them, huge win. I think the, the, the perfect sort of rental. Like they are a team that can be making a rental like that and have it make sense, oh, yeah. and you just deal with it. And they have a chance to recoup some draft. Like Depending how their free agency shakes out, they could get a comp pick for Chase Young that's not going to be too far off of what they traded to get him, and then you have a high-caliber pass rusher to help you go win this year. He's been playing really well this season, too. He kind of had, like, obviously had a ton of hype as a prospect, has kind of underwhelmed in the NFL, and obviously was hurt for a while. Um, the the kind of consensus opinion grew to be that Montez Sweat was the superior player there in Washington. But this year, since Chase Young's been back, they've both been pretty good, but Young has actually been better in stuff like pressure rates um, and all that. And I think he maybe has more sacks than Sweat. They're pretty close. But uh, I, I think it's a really great trade for San Fran, probably the most consequential of the deadline. And while I don't totally hate the Sweat move for the Bears, assuming we extend him, I think it stings a little bit to see, like, to me, I understand the medicals are the concern with Chase Young, but him going for a third when we sent the, like, a a third from a good team when we sent, you know, a second from our shitty team for Montez Sweat, it it bums me out a little bit because I feel like Chase Young is the higher ceiling guy um, and obviously the lower cost gamble as well. So I'm a little surprised that, you know, it all played out the way that it did, but I am used to not being ecstatic with with where the Bears are at. 
Yeah, and I'm never days. ecstatic about trading for picks and everything, no matter what team. I mean, yeah, it makes sense to plan for the future, but that's a lot more of a gamble than you know a player who's here and producing now. Um, I don't know what else happened close to the deadline. Is there anything else interesting, or was that kind of kind of the gist of it? That was most of it. I'm trying to think if there was anything super notable. I mean, we covered Dobbs, and yeah, a lot of it was honestly the Vikings and the Bears. The Lions got Donovan Peoples-Jones. The Bills got Razul Douglas. I mean, decent guys, but nothing uh, nothing too I can't remember the Dobbs terms. I I pulled it up, but it's... Uh, I can tell you. Let's see. Um, I can't find it. uh, Yeah, the Vikings gave up a, a... Oh, they gave up a sixth and seventh. I think this article I'm reading is wrong. If I'm remembering right, I think the Vikings gave up a sixth and got Dobbs in a seventh. So basically they just slid back from the sixth or was it the seventh the... Okay. to get Dobbs. Yeah, and they traded Ezra Cleveland for a sixth, which is just bizarre to me. Uh-huh. Uh, I, ultimately, where do you think this changed? I, I don't – this is just weird for me because the Vikings aren't just selling out, right? They're not just giving up on the season. They're making – kind of weird trades i think the dobbs is kind of out of necessity right just because you need you need a quarterback yeah. another quarterback um what teams you know after the trade deadline maybe they didn't even participate in you know the whole trade shakeup. but what teams do you like coming out of this obviously the 49ers just got better um the bears didn't do it who, who do we like coming out in the second half of the season you know you have you have the bears that Jacksonville is not giving up, but you know they're yeah they're, they're making not. some trades because they're 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 not hopeful. Um, Panthers were another one who got some picks out of this, but it's nothing to write home about. Yeah, honestly, like I, I don't think the deadline. I think Chase Young is is going to be the only trade that has consequence on the NFL playoff picture this year. So I guess if we're talking who I like coming out of the deadline, I would still say the Niners. I'm still high on them, honestly, compared to anybody else in the NFC, despite the losing streak, even without Chase Young. Um, I feel pretty damn good about them if they can get healthy, which has always been a huge if for them. Um, If they can do it, then I I think the Niners have as as good a chance as anybody. Um, Otherwise, I mean, you know, it's it's the usual suspects. It's them or the Eagles in the NFC to me. You're never going to sell me on the Cowboys. Um, and in the AFC, it's a little more wide open, but I don't think the deadline changed much of that picture. So it's really just, you know, Kansas City, Buffalo, maybe Cincy, maybe the Dolphins, um, and I guess the Jags, but the Ravens, they're all, you know, kind of in, in the mush there in the AFC. Just imagine if NFL trades were as crazy as the shit we see in baseball, where you tell a guy 30 minutes, like when he's suited up 30 minutes for his games, like, Hey, you just got you, you got traded. Go pack up your bags. They want you to play tonight. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, let's move on from NFL talk into something. This is really why I wanted to have a podcast, even if Colin couldn't be here. I want to talk about Bedlam. Um, if this, if we were having this conversation two weeks ago, uh, we might not care so much. But uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State in Stillwater. It's got interesting after the OU loss, after what appeared to be a dominant Oklahoma State win, maybe them figuring it out now that they've uh, decided and committed to a single quarterback system. Uh, Sam, uh, Sam, take us away. I want to pull up uh, the OSU record and what their scores have looked like. All right, yeah. I mean, so I would say, honestly – uh, just at face value, I would slightly dispute the notion that we wouldn't have been as interested a couple weeks ago. I, I think it's fair to say that 
we wouldn't have expected the game maybe to be as competitive as we now do, but the significance of it is the reason I'm shelling out a ton of money for a ticket to go to it. It's not a matter of I think it'll be close or I think we'll beat the shit out of them. It's, you know, whoever wins this game has bragging rights for the next 10-ish years, if not more. You know, just some indefinite long period of time. Um, and Lord knows that the Oklahoma State fans got every last inch of mileage they could out of beating us the one time in 2021. Uh, so they're certainly geared up for this shit. Uh, it's it's going to be one of the most significant games in this rivalry in the history of this rivalry, maybe ever. Like, I, I guess, I don't know. That's probably the wrong way to frame well, it because there have been matchups where both teams were probably a little better than they are this year in terms of significance. But I think in terms of like meaning to the fan bases, this, this is going to be some serious shit. I think it's going to be a raucous crowd at Boone Pickens. I'm hoping that my very expensive fucking ticket is worth it. And I look forward to reporting back, hopefully after a resounding Sooners win. But like you said, I mean, Oklahoma State's playing really well. OU's been slipping these last couple of weeks. If you asked me a month ago, I would have told you when Bedlam rolls around, you know, we're coming into Stillwater and we're going to smack them down and just give them one, one last reminder of who's daddy on the way out of the conference. But right <laughs> now, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a damn good game. Ollie Gordon's playing phenomenal for Oklahoma State. We do have a good run defense. I'm sure he's going to hit a couple big ones on us. That's just the way it goes. I mean, KU did it. UCF did it. Um but, man, I, I think it's it's going to be an extremely exciting game. I still would pick the Sooners, but I think it's going to be chippy. The crowd's going to be absolutely just raucous and fired up and, and, and roaring on any time a play gets made. Like It's it's going to be a lot of fun, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Uh, this, this whole weekend, but particularly this game, has uh, very big implications on the Big 12 standings. So despite the loss, uh, Oklahoma, still. By, by the time you figure in point differential and all the other things that they put in to, for tiebreakers, uh, Oklahoma is still at the top of the Big 12, uh, and Oklahoma State is second in the Big 12. Then you have Iowa State, Texas, and Kansas State, which from a conference record are all tied for number one in the Big 12, which means Kansas could pull ahead with a, with a win this week. But uh, you know your top two teams in the Big 12 right now are taking each other on in Bedlam. Um, it, you know, basically, I would like to think whoever wins this one has kind of the the inside track to the big 12 championship game. Uh, I mean, obviously there's still, yeah. there's still some more season to be played, but it, uh, based on what Oklahoma, how Oklahoma state has turned it around and how Oklahoma has proven to be human, um, in the last two weeks, eesh, this could be a rough one. Um, I want to pull it up the, some of what Vegas has to say about this game. Uh, I have a five and a half point spread in uh, at Oklahoma as the favorite, and then the over the over under is sixty one and a half points. Where do you where do you fall in that? So five and a half. Uh, dang, I just lost sixty one and a half points over under. I'm not sure I'd touch that spread. I think it's pretty damn accurate. Uh, I'd expect OU to win if I had if I was pressed to pick, and I would expect that it'd be a one-possession game most likely, so it makes a lot of sense that it's coming in where it's at. Over-under's pretty good, too. I probably would lean to the over, honestly, just based on what we've seen the last couple of weeks. I don't know if Danny Stutzman's going to play, and he's not the end-all, be-all of the Sooners' defense, but I do think that we will feel that loss if he's not out there. Um, and... You know, OU's defense has looked a little bit more mortal recently, and, and Oklahoma State's defense are not world beaters either. 
I, I would expect that we probably see a score pretty similar to what we saw in the OU Kansas game this weekend, which, which was 38-33 Kansas, I think, something like that, 38-32. I don't know. 33-38. Uh, yeah, okay, something like that. So that would, you know, that would be the over in, in, on this line, and I would expect we see something in, in that ballpark. But uh, I don't think I'm going to bet on it. Honestly, I'm just going to be extremely emotionally invested and drunk in Boone Pickens Stadium for the first time <laughs> in my life, and I, I'm just looking forward to it, man. And I hope that I'm going home a happy drunk rather than a pissy drunk. Either way, I've never, I've never been to that stadium or, you know, been to a game at that stadium. Obviously, I've been, like, to the stadium. You need to give us a game report on that because that could either be a really fun or a really terrible experience regardless for of what sure. the teams do, honestly. For sure. I think it'll be fun. I'm, I'm excited for it. I've never been either. Uh, I think uh, I think we're getting towards the end of this, and I, I, th- I don't think we're going to do a betting segment this week with Colin not here. But while I'm looking at some lines for this weekend – there's a couple here that I think are way too juicy to ignore. Um, so we know that Clemson's been having a lot of struggles this year and the, oh, I don't know, the stubbornness of their head coach is not necessarily helping that. If you had to guess uh, how much of a uh, favorite Notre Dame was over Clemson this weekend, what would you tell me? Where would you set Who's the line just in your head? It's Notre Dame at Clemson. Hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd say Notre Dame six and a half. You can get Notre Dame for three, minus three. Damn. So I'm going to smash that one. The other one that I think it, it, to me is a no-brainer, uh, you have a very, very strong fifth-ranked Washington team over kind of a floundering USC. Uh, Washington is only a three-point favorite. Wow, okay. Yeah, uh, those are – I'm not going to call them locks – but I would be sma- I'll probably be smashing those tonight for for Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I would imagine I'll have to. I'll work Washington into a teaser at bare minimum. Uh, that's 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 a pretty damn tempting line. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Nebraska's close to being bowl eligible. I don't know what the line is for that, but uh, you know, there's some interesting. There's actually some interesting college football. You know how we said at the beginning of the season, or I said. I'm going to be disappointed, even though this is supposed to be college football's, you know, last ride before things get most likely I do remember that. a lot shittier. And you know what? I've been this has been a great fucking season so far. There's been there's been lots of you know unexpected outcomes. You have an Oregon State team that's top fifteen. Who the fuck saw that coming? You have a, a top five Washington team. Uh, I, I I don't think we could ask for a whole lot more this season. You know, USC's taking a shit. Per usual with Lincoln Riley. Yep. Uh, all right, Sam. Any last words? Um. Yeah. I got. I got. Uh, I got a rock chalk Jayhawk for everybody. Oh, you know, it was. It was a, a tormenting week. You know, a lot. A lot of psychological uh, unraveling to do in my own head with with OU losing their perfect season, but also KU getting the biggest win in their program scene in, in 15 years. Uh, so you know what? Fuck it. I'm wearing my my OU sweater, but rock chalk, motherfuckers. What a win. Speaking of basketball, and uh, I, I actually <laughs> forgot about this one until just now. Uh, you know who died? Bobby Knight. <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's a good news item. Yeah, damn, we missed it. Uh, uh, an absolute icon of, well, of collegiate athletics. You know what? Let's say he was a With good a coach. Complicated legacy. <laughs> complicated legacy. Um, 
And that will conclude our garbage sports opinions for tonight. Go check out our Twitter at three planes SB. That's at the number three P L A I N S S B to keep up with our sports betting adventures and spreadsheet and keep an eye out for future episodes on Spotify, Apple podcasts, or wherever the hell else you get your podcasts from. And remember there's only one Oklahoma. We're out of here. <laughs>